Welcome to the Picky Girl Travels Podcast. I'm Adelia Borashade. I've been known to fly by the seat of my pants from time to time. Um, but my guest this week could teach a master class on how to wing it and how to fly by the seat of your pants. You know, people always talk about, uh, what's that quote? When you fail to plan, you plan to fail. I mean, admittedly, I think I may have even told that to a student or two over the years. But after talking to my guest this week, Carrie Von Etheridge, I have an entirely new level of appreciation for the art of winging it. Um, she is an artist and a self-described cultural provocateur. And after you listen to her episode, you'll understand that she definitely deserves that title and then some. Carrie was incredibly honest and transparent about her experiences living in uh, Spain, sometimes illegally, and what it was like to work there. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to share her story with y'all was because, as I've been saying, everybody's path isn't going to look the same, okay? Uh, and that's that's important. We're not all going to be expats. We're not all going to start our own business. It None of that matters. But what is important is that you make choices so that you can live the life that you want and so that you can live life on your terms. And that's what Carrie's story is all about. But how, okay, so how did you initially end up in Spain? Okay, so this starts like way, this predates way before I actually physically moved. I've been thinking about it and wanting to do it for like years. And like some of my friends had sent me some messages when I finally did move and say, look, look at our email um, exchange. You were talking about this like 15 years ago. Why did it take you so long? And I'm like, I don't know. Cause every time when you decide like, okay, you want to do it, you're always thinking you have to wrap things up. Like, you know, I need to take care of this and take care of this and make sure I'm secure or whatever. And I think it took me a long time to do it because I just got my first job in my life when I was 27. <laughs> so I was like, okay, let me just, you know, establish some money. And so when I finally decided I was on a trip and bouncing around Europe and that trip was the trip that made me say, okay, once I'm bouncing around um, Europe, I need to figure out which place we're going to land in next. Cause we were country hopping, um, which, what speaks to me. And so that's when I, came to Spain for the first time. And I was like, yep, moving here next year. And that's what I did. Didn't have a plan. Um, told my family, you know, my family is used to me traveling and staying away for a really long time and then coming back. Um, but I, I needed for them to feel secure because they were like uneasy about me saying, no, I'm not coming back. And I'm like, what do you mean? So I had a program with the School of um, Visual Arts in New York, which was a study abroad, I mean, yeah, no intensive painting program because I'm an artist and I came for that but that was just an excuse to just get me here and okay. then from there I just was like okay so let me figure things out right now because so I was living off my savings for a while until I could figure things out but I needed to go I needed to go and um 
I didn't care if I didn't have a plan. I was like, listen, I'll, I will figure that out when I get there. I just need to leave now. This is not good for my spirit here. So, Well, I think you're right. Um, and maybe it's an American thing. Maybe it's a Western thing. This idea that it must be meticulously planned and you've got to get all your ducks in a row. Um, because if you think about all of the people who have migrated to another country historically, a lot of those folks did not have a plan, you know, albeit times were different, but you know, if you need to go, you need to go. Um, And you obviously felt that. Now you said that doing the intensive painting program, that was just your excuse. Now, were you on a formal student visa to do that? So no, so then the intensive painting program was just like an accelerated kind of thing where it was two weeks. And the program ended on the 13th of July, 2013. The year before when I was here, I made the decision to move here the 2013 of July 13th. And so, um, wait, wait, what was the question again? The question was, when you came to Spain uh, on the the painting program through the university, my question was, did you come like on a student visa? Yeah, okay, thank you very much. It's a little hot. No, I didn't come on a student visa because it was only two weeks and I didn't need a student visa. And so I figured as an American, I have 90 days to be in the country. So then I'll bounce around for 90 days. So I didn't come on a student visa. I came on nothing. And okay. yeah. All right. So yeah, you really were just going to wing it and figure it out. So yeah. was there any thought given to like, what do I do at the end of 90 days? Because did they have the Schengen zone in 2013? Yeah, it's the Schengen zone here. Um, yeah, it's here. Um, I didn't give any thought to when the 90 days was over. I just honestly, so my life back home was just like always like, you know, winging it and figuring it out. And like everything always worked out. I didn't realize that I had the privilege of having it work out and winging it. You know, like I had the luxuries of having my country behind me and my family and my friends. Um, So I thought the same would apply here. I was, I I came in, I, I have to say a little naive. Um, so I didn't have a plan once the 90 days was over. I'm like, okay, so the 90 days is over. Let's see what we're going to do after this. And I just kept doing that. And then, you know, two and a half years later, I was not here legally. But it's perfectly fine. <laughs> okay, well, wait, wait, wait. We got to unpack some of that. Uh, because I think okay. this, I, and I'm, you know, like, I'm, I, on the one hand, I'm sorry you ended up being illegal. But on the other hand, I think, there's a lot that people can learn from this experience. So your initial 90 days is up and Mm -hmm. in theory, you are supposed to leave the Schengen zone. Yes. Okay. Did you? I, so what I thought was I would do a passport run. And from what I heard was if I go to Switzerland, go there and come back, then I'd be good. What I didn't realize, that's under the Shenzhen uh, region. And so you, because before that, before I think people who were telling me did it like years ago when it it didn't apply. So they could get get a passport stamp. So when I got there, I'm like, where's my stamp? And I just walked out and I was like, oh no. 
So I had stayed there for a couple of days because I was doing some, I was trying to finish up a photography project that I was doing and I had a friend there. And then I came back and I'm like, well, that did not work. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do now, but um, no one's checking for me. So um, we're just going to continue to ride this wave. And so I, part of like the privilege that we have as Americans, like we can just bounce around. No one's questioning when we pull out that Navy blue passport. And so I was just bouncing around Europe and, um, mainly London is when I actually got that stamp. Okay. Cause I was going to say the UK is outside the Schengen zone. Yeah. So, but yeah. before that, basically you're just bouncing around as legal as illegal as can be. Exactly. I was just like, Oh, this is nice. Not that I was, <laughs> <laughs> not that I was thinking consciously like, you know, Oh my God, I'm an illegal immigrant and I'm doing all of this, you know, um, stuff. I wasn't thinking about that. I was just thinking about living my authentic life and enjoying it and not worrying about stuff. Like, I don't care. Like, I'm just living. And I have the freedom to do that. And I'm going to completely take advantage of that. I'm going to ride it until the wheels fall off. And so I, I was having a ball. I am not mad at you for that. I'm not mad at <laughs> you for that at all. <laughs> okay. So you get your, you spend time in the UK. You get a stamp, you're outside, does that mm -hmm. reset your 90 days or do you have to spend a certain amount of time outside of the Schengen zone? So um, it's advantageous for you to come back if you're trying to apply for residency in, the, in your host country that you're living in. Um, I don't know if it restarts anything. I don't think that's actually true. I think that you have to actually go out and I think for like 187 days, before so you have to stay i think like legally you have to stay um the the great thing about spain is that you can actually apply for residency even if you're illegally here hmm. you have to, yeah if you can get like someone to give you a work contract for a year or a certain amount of money within a year to, to take care of yourself say like twenty one thousand pound 21,000 euro a year or something like or maybe even less um or maybe more now because the law had just recently changed maybe it's like 26,000 euro a year then you can still apply you can still apply for residency even though you were here illegally the entire time well that's kind of generous because yeah. I've not come across many countries that have similar policies so is that well, what I've you did no, because I still don't have my residency and I've been here for seven years. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'm not illegal. I do have a student visa. So just to piggyback on me being here for two and a half years illegally, I had to, I was working at a school. So I was, uh, you know, I was running out of my savings and I had to get a job. So I got a job with a company because here they just, they don't, they don't ask for anything. They don't ask for papers or anything. And so I was working at a school um, teaching English and I was like, oh, this, I didn't want to do this, but whatever. So at the end of that, you know, um, imaginary contract, they told me last minute before the school year was supposed to start that they're going to need a student visa for me. And I was like, wait, what? I've been working with you for how long? And now all of a sudden you need a visa. And then you tell me at the end of August. And I'm like, do you know how you know, much like, plane tickets are back home to New York like at this time? And so um, I had to call my brother and he helped me out and got my plane ticket and I flew to New York and I had got my visa. 
and um, you know, they take your visa and they hold it. And so I was like, Oh God, they're going to see that I haven't left since June 22nd, 2013. It's 2015. <laughs> like oh, September, September 7th to be exact. I'm like, this is crazy. I'm like, well, you know, if they kick me out, I'll just go back in through France. And because like, <laughs> I'm not staying here. I'm not saying you can't keep me here. I'll get back no matter like I'm getting back. Like you can't keep me here. And so, um, yeah, they keep your passport, whatever. It took longer than um, it should have just because the FBI was backed up for eight months. So I had to like wait and then like try to get someone to expedite that for me to get um, a, a clearance, um, you know, criminal background and all that stuff. And then like the Paris bombings happened. And so I was stuck in, in New York and I didn't leave until December 15th. And so that was a long time from August. So I lost my job. Okay, because that was going to be my next question. Yeah. <laughs> I lost my job and they extended it. They said, okay, if you can get back here October 18th, then, you know, then you'll be fine. And I was like, no, I don't know when I'm get I can't even call the embassy to ask them when I'm going to get my passport because it's just whenever they feel like, you know, processing it and like uh, approving it. So I, there, there's no way I can, I can have a definitive answer. And so I lost my job. So when I came back, I came back to Spain and I was living in Barcelona at the time and with a, without a job and 92 cents in my account. Okay. Now, I, this, this story is just getting better and better. <laughs> but <laughs> before I forget, I want to backtrack a little bit and talk about the student visa process. Now, okay. you had to leave... Spain to apply for that is right. Okay. And so did you have to apply in your home country? Um, yes. Okay. Because before I left, I had went to Copenhagen and, um, I was trying to go to the American embassy there. Okay. My boyfriend at the time lived there. And so, I was in Copenhagen. I was like, listen, I need to go to the American embassy to see if something can happen because I'm already here. That makes no sense for me to go all the way back to come back. Like the simple things that you have to do with the process of visas are done in our embassies and consulates all over the world. Why is it that we have to go back to our country to do that? You know, like I haven't, I haven't spent time in my country for years. So they don't have any record of anything I'm doing except the, my host country that I'm living in. Why is it that I have to go back? All of my information is here for the past couple of years. So, so you have to do it in your home country. I just don't know why. Okay. And so what, what kind of, what do they need? What do you need in order to get a Spanish? Here. I said, what do you need in order to get a Spanish student visa? Okay. So I think it's, um, so what you have to do is, you have to be contracted either by a program, which here they have um, auxiliary arts program from the education, the Ministry of Education here. And so there are different, there are specific programs, Beta, Usatam, Medias, um, and like all of these CIAA kind of things that employ um, um, native English speakers from different countries. They mainly really focus on um, Britain and America. 
And then they'll take some, you know, ox, um, Aussies or whatever, and maybe some South Africans and Filipinos. Um, but they really, really focus on the Brits and the Americans. And so um, they'll give you a contract. And so what you need for a student visa to be in Spain, you need to be able to have sustainable income, which they provide you with stipends. And you have to have medical um, insurance, which the company or the agency um, pays the social security for you so you can get universal health care because that's what we have here. And then moving forward, you have to have a contract that says that they're going to make sure that you're taken care of for the school year. You take all of that to your consulate or your embassy in your home country, in your home state. I think the state thing is, I don't think that really matters. I think you can go to any state to apply for the student visa as long as it's at the consulate or the embassy um, of Spain in your country. Um, and then you just need a medical clearance um, once you get there. Medical clearance to say that you're not bringing in any diseases, you're mentally stable and all that stuff. And then you need a background check from the FBI. Now, some, some programs allow you to just have your state background check um, and others require an FBI check. And I think now that's mandatory, um, not just your from your local state. So you have to have that FBI check. After you get all of that, you pull all of that together. And if you're in New York, the visa is like $160. Mm -hmm. You pay that. And um, you have a copy of your passport, a copy of um, all of the contracts that the program that's sponsoring you gives you. And that's it. That's your package. You put it into the Council of uh, Spain. And then they approve it. And you're off. So they'll give you a temporary visa for 30 days. When you get to the country of Spain, you then have to file under the ministry here and get your fingerprints and uh, register for a, an appointment so you can get your fingerprints taken. So you take all the paperwork there because everything has been processed in your home country. They go through that, you get your fingerprints here, and then within 45 days, you get your student visa card where that lasts you for nine to 10 months. Now, then you start over again. Did I miss the part where you have to be enrolled in school? So, no, you do not have to be enrolled in school. What is a student visa, though? So you have to take classes because these, um, so that's the thing. So some of these programs are connected with the university. So one particular program is BETA, and they're, they're, connect, they're connected to Pontifos, Camillas, whatever, this is a university here. So you have to take actual classes, um, mandatory classes, and that wasn't the case back in the day. That just started happening probably like four years ago where they were like, you mandatorily have to take these classes to, to keep your student visa because then you know. But before they weren't doing that. You just basically were under a student visa, but you had no classes. But the, the program that you're attached to it's under the education, educational, the Ministry of Education here. So they have um, a thing where your education is fieldwork, basically, and you go into the schools and you're a teacher or an assistant teacher. If you're an assistant teacher, nine times out of ten, if you're working in the schools, you're the actual teacher of the class because you, the teacher that you're supposed to be assistant leaves, and then the whole class. <laughs> so. And I know those teacher assistant jobs pay next to nothing. 
Oh my God. It's like monkey pennies. It's just, yeah. yeah. It's so bad. Like, so we get paid. Now, every program is not the same. I think we, the program that I'm in now that I just phased out of um, is the highest paid. And it used to be more than what we got now, but now it's less. So it's 1300 if you have a 26 hour a week job. If it's 20 hours or 18 hours, it's significantly less. So 18, it would be 800. 20 will be like 950. And like, because you have a 26, it'll, it'll be 1300 a month. Yeah. That, that is actually higher than I was expecting, but yeah. I mean, some programs, so like the actual ministry, the Ox, the Ministry of Education via the Auxiliary Conversation kind mm-hmm. of thing, they pay a thousand a month. And then CAT, which, which is in Barcelona, they pay 850. And, um, but then they pay 850 and even less than that if, you sign on, on on for a program that you're hosted by a host family. Then they pay you four fifty. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh my gosh! It's a, That's it's a not nightmare. gonna go anywhere in Barcelona. No. Oh my gosh! Listen, it's 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 crazy. So, um, yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't know how people are surviving except doing private lessons on the side. And um, taking up like, and, and like you basically have to hustle and make your own way because Spain is not a place where you have these grandioso ideas and can build a business and it's going to be successful. They're resistant to everything here. Yeah. So, um, you know, you can have all the ideas that you want and you come in here and you see everything that it's missing that you can start a business business and flourish, but they're not receptive to it, receptive to it. And so you're like, Oh God, like what? come on, like, there's a market here that I can tap into. And like, you're not even giving me the opportunity to make this happen. They reject everything. But if you do like side hustle, I mean, you can do side hustles, like bartending and like, I don't know. Um, but definitely teaching English on the side in private lessons is going to be your lifesaver. Yeah, yeah. It gives you the extra money. Okay, so you finally got your visa it was like mm-hmm. what'd you say december december well no i got my visa the 20 uh i want to say the 23rd of november but then i stayed longer because i wanted to have thanksgiving i haven't had like a proper thanksgiving meal since i left <laughs> so i stayed and then i so i this the flight back to barcelona my friend got me a buddy pass and the problem with that was, it's like, if there's no available space, you're not going back. <laughs> so my flight kept getting bumped and bumped and bumped about four or five times. So I was stuck in New York because I had a buddy pass to go back. But you and eventually so made it back. I eventually made it back with the grace of uh, this woman at the airport, because uh, I want to say three of the last times me trying to go to the airport, I, my bags were overweight. And she was like, girlfriend, what are you doing? I'm like, listen, I need all of this stuff. And she goes, call your brother back. You just missed your flight. Like, I can't put you on whatever. And like the third time she goes, you know what? I'm going to turn a blind eye and I'm going to let you have all of this stuff. But you have to promise me that I've never been to Barcelona and I always wanted to go. When I come, you take me out like, and show me Barcelona from your perspective. And I was like, this girl, done. <laughs> 
put my bags on this plane and they were so overweight. They oh, I know so that overweight. struggle. I know that struggle. So I, I totally appreciate what she just did for you. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I, I looked at her and I almost started crying. It was just like you have like this sister moments because it's another black woman and she's looking at you. And the reason why she didn't do it the two other times was because you know, the overseers were looking at her because I think she would have done it. And she goes, no, call. she goes, listen, just, okay, just call tomorrow. Try to come in tomorrow. And I'm like, I need all this stuff though. <laughs> like, I can't leave this because I don't want to come back. And it's very expensive to, to ship it. And so I don't want to do that. I want to take it all now. So that third time she was like, this, let's do that. And I was like, oh, thank God. And then, you know, um, rode first class all the way to back to Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. So yeah, uh, I came back with 92 cents of my account and uh, the apartment that I was supposed to have, the woman said, oh no, we rented it out to someone else. So I was homeless uh, for like about 10 minutes. I called my friend Yana. No, my friend Yana called me while I was at Barcelona airport. And she goes, hey, I saw that you're back in Barcelona. I'm like, yeah, Yana, let me call you back because the lady who gave me my apartment just said I don't have one. So now I'm homeless. Now I have to figure out where I'm going to stay. And she goes, my apartment is empty. Just I'll go to my apartment and I'll have someone run the keys to you. You know, the universe tends to unfold as it should. Yeah. And it was, it was incredible. I was just like, wait a minute, this is not real. This is not real. And it just so happened that I had a Metro card from my monthly, um, not monthly, but like my Metro card with 10 um, rides on it from when I was in Barcelona back in September. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, thank God I carried that with me. So I was able to get on the train because I had 92 cents. I couldn't do anything. So got to her house and her friend met me because uh, she was back in Russia and I was like oh this is great this is so amazing right now I was living life <laughs> <laughs> I was just like "Woo! talk about winging it I had the best of luck all right so you're you're in Barcelona you have a proper visa mm -hmm. and then what and then, um, so I called the, the, the program that I was working with and told them like, okay, finally I'm back. Um, I need a job. And I was like, well, there's nothing available. I'm like this. Well, after Christmas, there will be because after people see how shitty your program is, excuse my language, they're going to drop out, which happens. And then you have all of these vacancies come that, you know, after the winter break. And so they were done with me. They just tossed me to the side. Like, you know, no, we don't have anything. Call back. And they just kept like not answering my emails or whatever. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I have no money. And it was, I mean, I had a fully stocked apartment. <laughs> so I didn't have to worry about anything. And then you have like, you know, you have your friends there or people you date that feed you. <laughs> so like, yeah. Men are very handy for this. <laughs> so yeah. like, and I mean, and I, you don't have to do anything except show up and be pretty. And it's just like, all right, I can do that. Put some lipstick on this pig. Let's go. Like, let's have some dinner. And so I, I did that. And then um, thankfully, I was going on an interview for a company to do private lessons. And on my way to that interview, I had the biggest bird poop drop on me it like 
it hit me like a rock. And I was like, what the hell is that? And I looked and this, this woman that was standing next to me, she was like, que asco, astucia, que haces? And I'm like, oh, what is this? So she helped me wash out my hair in the fountain in the park there. And I got a call from my brother saying, check your email. The lawyer has just sent you an email. And it was, um, my dad passed away and it was his settlement from his estate. It was finally divided up and for the children. And I had got money on my way to the interview. Wow. <laughs> I was able to survive off that for a couple of months because it wasn't a lot, but it was like, I was good for like a year. Yeah. And I was just like, this keeps getting better. I'm telling you. <laughs> It was crazy. But then I moved to Italy for a little while just to do a program to teach theater around Northern Italy. Um, went to Copenhagen with my boyfriend for a month until I tried to figure things out. Went back to Italy for a little while and then moved to Madrid because I applied for another program here, which was the beta program. And then, yeah, I'm here and it's almost like four years in September. Okay. And so you are teaching English. Oh, no. I'm teaching art. You're teaching art. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, was there any kind of special certification required for that? I mean, you are an artist, but right. I didn't know if the program or the school required you to be like a certified teacher or anything like that. So no. So here, like I know like in Asia and like in the UAE, they have like, you have to be like a certified teacher and you have to have a degree in a specific, you know, um, um, subject or whatever that's not required here you just have to have a college degree and some of these programs just really don't even want you to have experience because they want to um, take advantage of that that they can do whatever they want to with you and, and to you and they're banking on your uh, naivete they want you to be like not aware of your rights and stuff like that so they can take advantage of you if you know how to play the system um and how they operate and you know what you're, try you're trying to get from it. They don't even check and see if you have a degree. You just say you have a degree. Um, that's what happened at first. But in the past, I wanna say four years is when they were actually checking and you had to have it, um, had it, have it um, what do you call it? Um, like a apostille. A here. Yeah, apostille. So you had to, even if you had to have an apostille in your home country, but then here, again, they'll translate it for the Spanish government. So now it's a requirement, but they're still hiring people with without it, like without it being a postile or even seeing. They, I mean, it's like I have a degree. They're really more focused on you being a native English speaker. Than anything else. Yeah, now, you like, know, Spain is known for, well, I'm not going to say is known for, but the Spanish economy is not great. It has not been great for a while. Um, has that been a hindrance to you at all? That, I, you will run into problems if you go through a program like this. And the salaries are already low. So that has not changed. And obviously the um, country works for their people and they barely work for their people. So they're not really going to put too much effort and time into you. So those are the problems. But I wouldn't say like they're, they're a hindrance just because the economy is not great and the salaries are even worse. The cost of living is very cheap. And so it kind of balances itself out. 
it's like, you know, there's no, I don't think there's another place in the world that we, you can actually be broke and still like live like a king. I, I, I've heard that about Spain before, which is yeah. one of those weird, uniquely Spanish kind of things. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really strange. Like I couldn't imagine living off of 1300 euro a month back home. My apartment in New York when I lived there was more than that, you know, and that, you know, that's not including food or lights or gas or whatever. Like that was, the rent was more than that. But you know, that is one of the reasons why so many women, so many black women are looking because, you know, mm -hmm. if you think about the life you had in New York and how much it cost to maintain that life and how much right. work you had to do to earn enough money to maintain that life, not necessarily even get ahead, just mm -hmm. maintain that as opposed right. to you said it yourself, you are living mm -hmm. your life, you know, you are, you are doing the things you want to do. And, and I think that that's one of the number one reasons women move abroad. Right. I mean, I've been here, like I said, for almost seven years. It has not been the easiest seven years financially. And what I'm accustomed to, it's, it's different and it's hard to get your head around it. It's like, Oh my God, this is like a struggle. And at some point um, I was like hitting rock bottom and a friend of mine had did a, a GoFundMe because a part of what dried up my savings was my storage back home. Mm -hmm. It was taking a lot of my money. That storage was like $375 a month. And if I had no income try, you know, like replenishing that, it was taking up a lot of my money. So at some point I was like at my low low and I was about to lose all of my stuff back home. And I was like, I've never made enough money here to save, to get my stuff here. That's, you know, that's very real. And, and I need all of my stuff. And I'm just like, I can't lose that. I worked very hard for that stuff. And, um, and I threw out a lot of stuff. I sold a lot of stuff before I got here. And I just kept what I needed, you know, and so I wouldn't have to be spending extra money to get that stuff because I already had it. And so when I was losing that, and then I couldn't find work for like six months. Um, I was like, Oh, my God. I'm about to lose all of my stuff, everything that I worked for. And I have no control over that. I have exhausted my family for advances in money. <laughs> They're sick of me. And I got to figure this out. Like, cause I, I don't know what to do. And uh, so a friend of mine did a GoFundMe and people contributed to that. And that stabilized me. And I'm, I was so grateful for that. Like it was like a call to help Carrie. Mm -hmm. And everyone threw in money I didn't even know. This was like, no, we want you to live your dream. Like you are doing something that we all want to do. And you just took a leap. And we don't want you to fail. So it was just like they gathered around me. You know, the black people in our community, mainly women. Um, if not all women, I think, actually. Maybe like four or five guys. <laughs> but... Black women was like pouring into my GoFundMe page was like, girl, stay out there as long as you need. Like, don't come back here. And I was like, and that touched me. And I actually did a video thanking them, but I never released it because I was like, ooh, I don't look so cute when I'm crying. So, <laughs> so let me, I, so I just thanked them publicly. I made like a, a public statement on the page, but I was just like, mm -mm, I'm not sending this video. One day I think I will send that video just to like, you know, <laughs> but yeah, they, they um, gathered around me and like helped me to save my space. And then a friend stepped up and was like, listen, when you come to New York, 
put your stuff in my mom's garage. And I did that. So the second time I came home, which is, I only been home twice out of seven years. Mm-hmm. And the second time was 2016. And that was just to renew my visa because I was going to another um, city. I moved from Barcelona to Madrid. So I had to then go back because I'm moving to another city, which made no, made no sense. No, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> and then you actually didn't have to do it. If I knew that I didn't have to do it, I wouldn't have came back. And so um, you can literally just go to the police station where you have to get your fingerprints and register or that local ministry office that you have to put your papers in. And that's it. They're not, it's the same type of program that you're going into in the same country for us to have to change regions and then like go back to that. That, that, that doesn't make any sense. It's the same country. So, but they're very individualistic when it comes to regions like Galicia and Catalonia and Basque and all of these, they're like, we want our, to be our own country. Yeah. And I think that's where the problem comes in. But until you get that, it's all Spain. It sounds like there is no time limit on the kind of visa that you have. Like you can only have this kind of visa for so many years. So I don't think there's a time limit because I've had a visa, a student visa since 2015 and it's 2020. Um, and I'm applying for another one this summer with another program. Um, and so I don't think there's a time limit. Um, but there is a time limit you can you you can stay you can be with a program. So with the program I'm with now, it's only you can only be here for two years, and then Beta I think have like five years, and then like others I think it's like two and three. But they just changed it again because of COVID, or I don't know if it was because of COVID or it just happened during COVID. They changed the amount of years that you can come back, and so and they cut a lot of programs as well. Like some programs were just like yeah no you're fired and no we're not doing this program bye. And you've already gotten your visa. And some people are stuck in the States with this visa from a program that no longer exists. Well, not even a visa. Yeah, well, yeah, what a visa. But Are, are you any concerned about how the landscape is going to change in a post-COVID Spain? Yeah, I am. I am. That, um, so it's never not been there. I just put it on the back burner. Since this COVID thing, um, well, before it, before the uh, pandemic, um, 2020 was my year to like pull it together because I'm like, girl, you've been doing this for a half years. Like you, you deserve everything that you're getting right now because you're not even making a, a little bit of effort. You're not putting in a gallant try. You're just like, you know, still on your wing in it thing. And like, you're too old for this. So it's just, so before this happened, I was thinking about that. And so this was like, so I was putting the plan in motion and um, I had actually developed um, a business and wrote the methodology and the business plan. And I was supposed to submit it to our local city hall to get approved and get the license to start my own theater camp here. And the great thing about that is, is that you don't have to be a resident or a citizen or whatever. You can actually get that through there because you are now um, registered as autonomous. And you just pay 275 euro, I think, a month in taxes while you're applying for your work permit and your residency. And so when, so that was supposed to go in in March. March, I can't remember the exact date, but we got sent home March 9th. And that was our last day. 
and everything shut down. And so that was my plan to get my residency. And so that stopped. And so I was like, okay, now we can't stop because I need a plan B. And I'm still trying to figure that out now because I'm like, okay, I'll have a student visa, but I can't. A student visa limits you on what you can do. You cannot work outside of what you're doing because this is not really work. It's almost like you're volunteering, just getting the stipends. Yeah. So it's like a real job. And I can't just now apply my education and my skills and my background to something else because I don't even come from a, a educational world and do something else because I decided to do something else. It's like, no, this is, this is your lane, stay in it. And you can't work over 26 hours. And so that limits you. And so now that's the plan is trying to figure out, okay, I'm going to go into the ministry program. However, I'm going to try to get a contract with another company that um, offered me one last year. And I couldn't take it because the school that I was working for was so far out that I wouldn't have got back in time. And that particular company didn't pay me enough to survive. I needed to take the other job that was far out. So uh, the plan was to just go back to this company and ask them, like, can, can you offer me the work permit, which will, which will get me <clears throat> my residency, which I would have to continuously apply for every year, but it'll be a work permit. And I can actually leave that program and get a normal job if I wanted to. Like I can go in other sectors. Like I can do whatever I want. If I have a work permit, I can do whatever. I can be, you know, a technician or an IT or whatever. Like I have options. So I don't necessarily have to stay with that. And so that's the plan right now until I can um, figure out like a place where I can get permanent residency. Because I don't necessarily want to stay in Spain and then I want to stay in Spain because it's cheap. Well, because I was going to ask, why Spain? Like why is that the country you ended up in? When I, okay, so when I first got here, I just fell in love with not the people, but the behavior of what I saw on the surface. So I saw very family-oriented type of people, fathers loving on their kids, like kissing their boys and hugging them and holding, like, you know, like I saw that and I was just like, oh my God, that is, woo, I haven't seen that before. <laughs> this is great. Like if, I never wanted kids, but like, if I decide to have a kid, I want that for my kids. Like, you know, like uh, a man like kissing and hugging on his son, like, you know, like, and kids are actually allowed to be kids. So that attracted me, that whole togetherness and stuff like that. And so that's why I decided on Spain. And then like the, the work-life balance is great. And then the food isn't, but like. <laughs> okay. I'm glad you said that because that was my take, but. I'm glad you said that. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> but it was just like seeing that and the fact that, you know, at first, because I'm on, I'm on vacation, I'm on holiday. So mañana, mañana, mañana works for me because I don't want to do that either today. <laughs> <laughs> so that was good. I didn't have the hustle and bustle and the pressure of me being a native New Yorker that, that's in me. And I was exhausted. There were a number of reasons why I moved from the United States. That was one of them as well. I, I was tired of running and hustling and all of that. I'm like, I'm, I'm exhausted. I can't do this for the rest of my life. And I don't want to. That appealed to me. So I'm like this. And that didn't, that, I didn't see that in England. I didn't see that in France. I didn't see that in Germany. I didn't, I didn't see that. I saw that here. And I was like, this is where I'm going. I'm going for what felt good. And that was like six hours after being here. I went out on the balcony and I 
screamed, I'm in España, bitch. And I just was like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm moving here next year. And that's what made me. It was just that feeling that I had like, oh, I need to, I need this. I need this. And then also I didn't experience racism. Okay. Cause I was going to ask you know, about that. <laughs> I was going to ask about that because Spain has a reputation for oh. being racist. And wow. I was curious as to what your experience was living yeah, there. They are super racist. And, and, and the level of ignorance is crazy. I've never, I never seen that before. Um, so when I, when I was visiting, when I was on holiday here, I didn't see any of that. I heard a couple of people complain. I'm like this. I didn't see that. I didn't get that. But I was also in, you know, on a cloud, riding on a unicorn, eating cotton candy. I was like, oh, yeah. Okay. When I actually moved here, I was in Barcelona. And I didn't see any of that and didn't experience any of that. And Catalonians are a bit weird, right? And I think all everyone that I've ever met in Spain, it's a level of weirdness here in general. I'm just like, I don't understand. It's like, mm, they're a bit slow. Like I don't, they, things don't register. Like I have a bad memory, but this is not memory. This is just, they don't get it. Anything, anything, simple things. Uh, I'm plugging a toilet or they don't, it's not, it's nothing. I, it's crazy. So Having said that, I was in Barcelona. I didn't experience any of that at all, not one day. And I was living there for three and a half years. When I moved to Madrid, the first couple of months, I was so happy to be here because this is a city that made me want to move to Spain. But then as I traveled to like, I lived in at the time Chambéry, which is like a very nice area. And I had to travel to Barrio Pelar, which is like an hour and a half away. And on the train, I would get, it started on the train and um, I would be sitting down like by the door and someone will lean on you. And then you, you'll, you know, say, Perona. they'll look at you and lean more into you until you have to physically push them off of you. Um, and then they'll say like, it's like, what's wrong? What are you doing? What? And, and you're like, Kayathis, are you kidding me? And, ah, Americana. They either think that you're Hispanic or they think that you're African and those two people they don't care about because they think that you're the scum of the earth. That, that is what I heard, especially, well, I know they've got a long history of discrimination against black Africans, but also Latin Americans. It's, it's rampant and, um, and it's really bad. And that was happening every day or I, I'll be walking and like someone, like if there's like an inch of space, they think that's an opportunity to be very close to you. They have no consciousness of personal space. You'll say, can you back up? Can you give me like 10 feet? Like this is not an opportunity for you. This is not an empty space for you to fill. It's I'm on the line and I need for you to, you're too close. I can hear and smell you breathing. Like it's, <laughs> and it's really bad. And so it was like, microaggressions, overt aggressions. It was like all of this in Madrid. And I started to become a super angry person because I was like, every day I have to fight for my personal space. Every day I have to fight with these aggressions against me until I open my mouth and then everything is calm once I open my mouth and they hear that I'm an American. And they're always like, they didn't edit us. Like, where are you from? And I'm like, New York. <gasps> it's my favorite city. And I'm like this. 
But yesterday, I, I, a few minutes ago, I was from Ecuador and I was a low life. Yeah. And I think that that dichotomy is also something that wears on you. The yeah. how quickly they switch from one to mm -hmm. the other once you open your mouth. It was at a point at some point when I would, um, if I knew that I was going to be in a place where it was going to be quite a few people, um, like a supermarket or whatever, I would pretend I was on a phone call so they can hear my accent, so we don't have to begin with this shit. That, that's how bad it was. I'm like, hi, how are you? Oh my God, so yesterday I was just like sitting in the park and it was just like, and they, and they go, and they, they'll smile at you. Oh, where are you from? And I'm like, oof, because I, I, don't, I don't feel like dealing with this nonsense today. I, today I chose to be happy and you're not gonna mess that up for me. But the fact that I have to preface everything, <laughs> before I get there. It's crazy. So I would set myself up to have a happy day. That's an interesting, that's a much better way, I think, of handling it than what I have done here in China. I have basically, I was already an introvert before, mm -hmm. but I have mm -hmm. become more so like, I am to the point now that I don't interact with the Chinese at all. If I can have something okay. delivered, it is delivered mm -hmm. because I'm just mm -hmm. so tired of being stared at and put on yeah. display and all of the microaggressions. I'm just so beyond all of that. So I can't even get my mind in a place where I can right. be like, I'm not going to let this bother me. I'm choosing to be happy today. I can't even get there. How long have you been in China? Came February, I came February 2019, originally on mm -hmm. a four-month contract that I then extended uh, an additional year. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, when I got back in August, I knew then I was like, okay, maybe I shouldn't have come back, but I'd already signed the contract. <laughs> so I have been counting down the days. And now this, this BS is going on with the availability of flights. And it's about to break mm -hmm. my heart because I am so ready to go. I am supposed to be gone in 21 days. Where are you going? Uh, Mexico. Yes, girl. But it's, you know, it's when, when can I get I have a flight? have a lot of friends in Mexico <laughs> and they're living their best life. We may know the same people. I, I'm pretty sure. We probably do. I lived in Mexico City for a year and foolishly mm -hmm. left. But sometimes you don't truly appreciate things until you go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I'm going back to my happy place as soon as I can get out of here. Now, how much longer do you think you might be in Spain? Ooh, good question. So now that we're having what's going on in the United States going on, um, which I'm very happy about, burn that shit down. <laughs> you know what? There is, I'm of the same mind and I noticed quite a few people on my timeline. I'm just kind of like, burn it all. You know what? I don't care. Like, <laughs> like it needed to happen. Yep. It, it's happening and I couldn't be happier. I'm just like, I'm over it. I'm over it. I'm over it. And it's necessary. And we built the shit anyway. Yep. And so, and we weren't able to benefit from it. So burn it down. Burn it all. Like, burn it all. Um, so I think that. So now I'm thinking about this um, because I would really love to live in Copenhagen. It's my happy place. Like I love it there. It's just super expensive. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that I need to figure out, am I going to get my residency here? Um, because I've already been here for almost seven years. 
And would that be better for me to stay here until I can get that, until I can switch it over to permanent residency where I can bounce around in, in, in Europe and go where I want? Because I don't want to then start all over again somewhere else when I have time invested here. So I think the smartest move is to get my residency here and then maybe one or two years once, once it kicks in where I can move around um, to different places and apply for things or whatever, like jobs or whatever in another country because I'm a resident of the EU, um, then that's my move. Um, I always want to have a place here, surprisingly. I always want to have a place here in Spain because regardless of the racism and all of that, Spain is gorgeous. Spain allows you to be anything you want to be and live your best life if you can. Spain is a great place if you have uh, the financial means to live here without, and you have also, you don't have to worry about bureaucracy. If you can get that together, bureaucracy, like, as far as residency and if you have a nice grip of money that can like hold you down and you don't need much because it's so cheap to live here spain is a great place to be because you can help you can bounce around i don't know about now you know uh post-covid but you can bounce around and it's really easy and cheap to bounce around to different countries and that, and that's the beauty of it you can just you have access it allows you access and freedom beyond you can I'm glad you said that about despite the racism, because mm -hmm. something else that comes up is, you know, when people are looking to move abroad, they want to know, well, what's the least racist country I could go to and that sort of um, thing. And what I'm hearing from you is kind of what I myself had just said this morning about China, like despite the racism here, it still mm -hmm. doesn't make me want to go back to the U.S. Right. I never once decided, I never once, any, any racist nonsense has ever happened here. And it's only happened to me in Madrid. I've been to different parts of Spain. It's never happened. Only here in Madrid. Even this has never once said, I'm packing my bags and I'm leaving. I'm like, child, listen, if this is what I have to deal with for the rest of my life, I'm good with this. I mean, to give you an example, we have a um, political party here called Vox, V-O-X. They call it Vox because, you know, V is pronounced V. <laughs> so um, I live in the most expensive part of Madrid, in the heart. I, have the, I live on like the best block you can live on. How I got this, luck. Listen, my entire experience here has been like, I can't, I can't say, well, I worked very hard for this and I put in, no, this was pure luck and personality. And I'm an introvert as well, but I'm a social introvert. Like I know how to move in spaces. I just rather not move in spaces if I don't have to. Mm -hmm. So but they were having a rally here for the political party during the elections. These people were like, it was like a Ku Klux Klan rally in these streets. So I was coming across town, coming back home. I didn't even know this was going on. The streets were covered and traffic was shut down because there was so many people in the street with these, you know, these Spanish flags and like box, box, box. And basically boxes, Trump, Trump, Trump here. And I was like, oh my God. And I did not feel threatened. I pushed my way through the crowd. I was like, move, 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 get out of my way. And I never felt more safe. I didn't feel like nothing was going to happen to me. 
I didn't feel like um, anyone was like, no, they would, they would say, ah, oh, perdona, perdona. They were like polite. And these are angry people who don't like anybody, including themselves. And I just walked through the crowd and I went home. I'm like, just go home. And I just went home. And I'm like, just could I have done that in like a KKK? Uh, no. <laughs> no, I wouldn't have came out there alive. And so if these little, and also here, if someone says something slick to you, you can be as aggressive as, as aggressive as you want to and no one is going to stop you and you walk away from that unscathed safe back in your home and said i told her yeah i bet she won't try that again i i I was in the supermarket the other day in the middle of like when we were at our highest with the covid this woman instead of because they don't they don't believe in saying excuse me or anything here um I'm standing in line to pay for my stuff and she basically pushed me out of the way and my car. She physically touched me to push me out of the way. I pushed her and like mushed her in her head. (laughs) And I said, if you touch me again, I will take you out. You need to learn how to open your mouth and say, excuse me, because it takes nothing to say, excuse me. But what you will not do is physically touch me and think I'm going to be okay with that. And she looked at me and I, and I, kept my distance but that mush in her head and she said she's going to call the cops. i said call jesus i don't care who you call <laughs> my american embassy is around the corner i'm good and then walked out of that store and was like okay so let me go and make my lentils and my coconut milk and my sweet potatoes that could have not happened at home no no absolutely if, if, not even them touching you and you just defending yourself you would have probably been dead or in jail. But I, I even got back into a boxing stance. I'm like, you're doing this during COVID? I'm about to be in like an orange jumpsuit and cornrows in population. <laughs> but, and, and so it's that, but I'm still not going. I don't want to go home. I couldn't do that at home. And that's, I think that's just it. That, you know, it's important not to let, I don't want to say just fear. But like, because racism is the one that that comes up that where I see people, it comes up the most and I see people get discouraged quickly when people reply, well, you know, I've had this racist incident here. I've had this racist incident there. It does not compare. Like, no, nobody knows how to be racist like the United States of America. Listen, I think they discovered it, built it, taught it, instilled it. I mean, like. That's the prototype. It's, it's this here, I would deal with this any day, any day. And, and mind you, I'm not like, I saw all of this at home and I, and I know people who have, has experienced it. Um, you know, my family are from uh, South Carolina and Savannah, Georgia, originally. And then New York, by way of New York, you know, the greats came up to New York and had their family. You hear the stories. I've never been called the N-word in my life. I'm, I, when I lived home, I was thinking, oh, I wonder how I would react if I ever heard that. Like, you know, (laughs) I anticipated it happening. It never happened, thankfully, but I don't know how I would, I don't know how I would respond to that. I think now I'll probably blow it off, cuss somebody out because I can here. And um, keep it pushing. But I've never had overt racism. And things that have happened to me, and I'm lucky, lucky that's never happened to me. I've had things that happened where someone will say, you know they did that because you're black, right? And I'm like this, did they? And they're like, 
Kara, are you serious right now? I'm like, I don't know. I don't have a point of reference. I don't know if that was that. I'm like, but I didn't do it. I didn't get it or whatever. <laughs> and so I never had that before. So this is the first um, time living here that I've ever experienced that overtly. Like in your face, like negra, negrita. Like, you know, even though negra, is, there's no um, direct translation of the N-word because mm-hmm. negra is not that. It just means black. But, um, you know, it's, it's the, the intent behind when they say it to you. Yeah. When you know yeah. that's what they mean. Um, but I've never had that here. I mean, I only experienced that here. I didn't experience that at home. I think maybe I, I, I've been doing preventative actions since I can remember because I didn't want to experience it. So that's probably another reason why I haven't had that experience. When I would go to Bergdorf Goodman in New York, I would dress up to the nines. Chloe and Chanel and I'm there and I would go in with a British accent. That was me armoring myself because I didn't even want this to start. I've done that for like years. And so I would have, you know, you're in Bergdorf Goodman, you have a personal shopper that comes over to you and and brings you stuff. And I had all of that on my British accent and, and, and my, you know, designer clothes. And I'm like, I've been doing this for so long. I don't even recognize if they are being discriminatory against me. (laughs) I, I don't know. So here, it's just like, they don't care what you have on. But I knew when I was getting this apartment, um, that mentality came with me getting this apartment because I knew the type of neighborhood I was going to be in. I knew my brown face showing up was probably going to be a problem because there's, there's someone who looks like me in this neighborhood. I've never seen one resident here in this neighborhood who looks like me. So when I came, I was dressed to the nines, completely beat face, hair, not nothing was out of like, place. And I came in with my most nasally Becky from Malibu voice. High pitched and very bubbly. (laughs) It was just like, I need this apartment. (laughs) And she goes, good, because I don't want to see anyone else. And you're the first and the last. I'm taking the the thing off, it's yours. I was like, oh, thank God. (sighs) I think America teaches us that. If nothing else, we got those things. That's just it. I think you hit the nail on the head whatever racism you may face in whatever country you move to, you've got the survival skills to to be just fine because you came of age in the United States. Like Mm -hmm. you, you had training at, you know, racist university. Yeah. (laughs) You had a, I mean, it's all your life and you don't even realize it. Now that I'm speaking to you now, I'm thinking like, yeah, I've never experienced that, but I didn't even know that that was already instilled in me to train myself, to prepare myself from things there happening to me where it was so embedded in me. I didn't even notice things were happening around me. I knew that I was being radical. I knew that I was getting more and more angry about, you know, the margin, the um, treatment of marginalized people. I come from a, a dad who was just like, you know, Black, Black Panther Party rebellion, but like not the good Black Panther Party. Just like, you know, no, nah, burn everything. Like, you know, like I come from that. And then I come from my mom um, being very peaceful and um, she can get it in when she can, but she comes from, you know, light skin, debutante, like, <laughs> So yeah. it was like a, a good balance of things. Like, you know, I had enough radicalism in me, but a, enough to know how to have these two worlds meet and maneuver that into my favor. So moving forward, I was already prepared to come to face this for the first time. I knew how to deal with it. Have you been able to do your art there in Spain? Yeah. Well, so when I came in for painting, painting 
actually was the first time I had painted be besides having to submit 11 pieces to the program in order to be accepted to the program. So when I submitted those pieces, that was the first time I actually properly painted so I can be accepted. So I put my all in those paintings when I, when I was applying for the program. Because this is a school of visual arts. This is a mm -hmm. very prestigious school. You know, they don't play that. And so I was like, I can't come in here. I'm like, I know I'm an artist, but I'm an artist that, like, I study visual arts, so I practice different mediums. I'm classically trained in opera and classically trained in a theater. That is really my art performance. Everything else was just like, you know, a hobby. I did because I was good at it and I liked it. And, you know, if I wasn't so good at it, I still liked it and I did it. So I've been able to practice my art, but not in the painting realm or like drawing or anything. Now I actually, sorry, I do teach when I teach art, I teach painting and drawing because I, I know how to do that and I'm excellent at it. And so I teach that to my students, my private students, that aspect. Everything else I teach theater. Um, so I've been able to practice my art in the part where I am a singer and I had a band in Barcelona. The band didn't go so well because I was being hired for private gigs. They didn't want my band. I had like, you know, my first major show, my show at like Bart's uh, club that's, you know, affiliated with Apollo. This is a very huge deal. And I had a show there and I was like this, oh my God, I love this. So I've been able to do that, um, not in Madrid. I haven't done anything artistic in Madrid besides teaching theater and, and art and stuff. There's room for it here and there's access to it. And also I think more so in Barcelona than in Madrid, if you are an artist um, or whatever, like whatever medium you practice in, there's room for that there. I haven't been living there in three and a half years, well, yeah, almost four years. Um, but I remember there being opportunities for you to, um, to flourish in that department because they're big on art there and they're big on artists. And so you can like do anything you want to there. You're not going to make a lot of money, but there's access. And then people scout you. Like there are people, there are black women who I know personally here in Madrid and in Barcelona who've got campaigns for Coca-Cola and Adidas and Reebok. They've so never even done that. That's not even their thing. So what you're saying is there are lots of possibilities and opportunities. There That's are a lot of possibilities and opportunities. You can absolutely like, you're not going to make money. And, and I don't want people to be driven by money, but you absolutely need it. But I don't want that to be a hindrance to them coming and like trying something in that particular field because it's absolutely possible because there's a um there's opportunities for that like you, i mean like say if you're a singer right and this is something that you do like as a hobby or whatever and you're not really taking it too seriously or whatever but a lot of those restaurants and nightclubs there and barcelona specifically have like you'll be sitting at dinner and then you hear someone singing and it's like a performer and like they don't get much money you get like 150 uh euro for like an hour of singing to people who are eating dinner. And you'll have like these things like spread out and like, and you're like, oh, okay. And then you'll like get these gigs to like, you know, private speakeasies on Duagonal and like um, these like exclusive clubs on, you know, Carrer uh, set this like street where it's like hoity toity. And cause I lived in the same place that I live now in Barcelona, this very expensive, you know, rich part. And they love black people now this may be fetishy or whatever um like they just look because you know they look at us oh my god you can run you can sing of course you can dance these opportunities present itself 
for example, there's a, a girl, I don't know if you know her, Gloria Atanmo. Mm-hmm. I know Glow. Okay. <laughs> so when we were living in Barcelona at the same time, I had did like um, something for my friend's blog, which was called Chocolate. Oh my God, I can't remember the name of it. But she did like a couple of uh, interviews with me. Glow had reached out to Jen to get in contact with me, Jen. And so I, I reached out to Glow like, hey, girl, what's up? And she's like, oh, we're in Barcelona. I want to meet up with you. And we met up. This is before everything had happened. Like she blew up. I, looked at, I met up with Glow and I was just like, gosh, she's going to kill this. She's going to kill it. And this is when she was trying to figure things out. Like, you know, but as she was there and her, her visa was about to run out, she's at a bar talking to some guy and then got like a contract with the, the basketball team there that yeah. led to like other things. So, and, um, and so it just kept on going from there. Look how successful she is right now. That's totally, po- that, I met her when this was just, she didn't even think that far to where she was. Nope. Right she, cause back then she just wanted to keep traveling. She was exactly. like, what do I have to do to keep going? Exactly. So she was figuring it out and all of those possibilities. I don't know where that else, where else that can happen. It started there. It was like Barcelona opened that door. I mean, it was like, cause it's like, okay, it's going to be like a struggle point. Yeah, of course it's going to be a struggle point. This shit is not going to be easy at all. But you know what? I think that may be where some of the hesitation comes from. Like when you were talking earlier about like when we pursue careers and education in the United States, it's very like checkbox oriented. I need to do this and check this box and I need Mm -hmm. to do this. And something so the the only term coming to mind is like loosey goosey Um, Mm -hmm. as what you're describing that we don't do that in the United States because yeah. like you'll end up homeless. <laughs> like you, yeah, you can't, you can't afford to give yourself the freedom to sit back and say, well, let me just see where this goes. Yeah. But pretty much from, from, from my experience, what I'm hearing you say and what I've talked to other people living abroad, you have a much greater freedom to be able to do that outside the United States. Yeah, definitely. You have a freedom to mess up, get back on track because it's, you know, if you mess up at home, it's so expensive, especially like if you're living on the coastal cities, it's so expensive. If you mess up at home, it's going to take you a long time to pull it back together and bounce back here. You mess up and you can kind of be okay. Like you're okay. You're okay. But it allows you to like, okay, let's rethink this. Let's like, but you have that, that freedom to do that. It's not so rush, rush. Like it's like, and I think that's why I haven't been like probably where I could be in these seven years. It's just like, I just need a break for a minute because I absolutely know what that world is back home. And I, that's the reason, that's one of the reasons why I left. I'm like, I don't want that type of pressure. I had anxiety. My hair was falling out. I was having like to go and get like, you know, um, collagen shots in my head to keep my hair. Like it was, I was so stressed out. It was insane. And I would have panic attacks. And I, I never experienced it. I'm like, this, well, when I didn't have a job, I didn't have this problem. But now, and then like added the pressures of just like holding up your day to day. I didn't have that here. I was able to breathe. I was able to, and like, yeah, things were like hard, really hard sometimes. But that never deterred me to say, just go back home and like regroup or whatever. Some people are not built for that. Some people are like, no, nah, girl, I can't do broke. I didn't think I could do broke either. I didn't think I could do broke either. 
I was just like, I've never been broke. So I don't know what that feels like. I don't think I want that feeling. And then I was here and I'm like this, ah, broke ain't that bad. Cause I didn't know that brokenness could also have some type of happiness to it. That I was part. happy. <laughs> I was happy because I was where I wanted to be doing what I wanted to do. Not completely, but at the time doing what I wanted to do, doing it how I wanted to do it on my own terms. And I didn't have that added pressure of all the nonsense that we have to deal with at home. And I can just lay on this beach topless and be great. It was, it was just the sense of freedom. It's like, yeah, this is happening, but you know what? Can I get another G and T please? <laughs> like, but no, you you hit the nail on the head because that's what I talk about. Like that is the impetus for this podcast is about mm -hmm. black women being able to live the life they want to live life on their terms. Mm -hmm. You know, like you you that space here. Yeah. Like you said, you know, about you didn't know until you were outside the United States that you could be happy but be broke like yeah. because in the united states those two things cannot exist in the same space that just doesn't make sense there it just doesn't make sense no but i'm just like well i don't know how that feel and i don't wonder how i feel let's keep working and hustling i mean when i first moved to barcelona the first couple of months were super hard and i felt so lonely it was like a kung fu grip. The kind of loneliness that comes over you is indescribable unless you've actually been somewhere where you don't know the language, different culture, in another country, a continent away from what your norm is. You feel, and, and even with you being an introvert where you're okay with being alone, this level of loneliness is so crippling at times. It's like, I can't do this. And then... In a minute, like some people can't, with, they can't outlive, they're like, nah, I gotta go. I can't do this. I can't do this. Some people cry and cry and cry. And I think with my friend Jen's blog and so many women contacted me like, girl, how are you doing this? I was like, no, I'm going through it. I'm like, please, this is not a walk in the park. This is not a piece of cake. I am absolutely going, through. I'm feeling all the feels. I am super depressed right now. And it was also, I'm still not going back. Exactly. I am not going back. Exactly. I, like, I will die trying not to go back. I'm not going back. I don't care what I'm feeling. And, you know, I use what I needed to use to make, help me get through it. Like, get a boyfriend. Okay. <laughs> Let's get a boyfriend. I got a boyfriend. And I'm like, okay, I'm done with you. It's been a long enough, child. I don't need this anymore. <laughs> And you move on and it like kind of sustains you for a while because it's like, oh, I just needed someone, not a girlfriend, like, you know, well, if you're, you know, um, in that, if that's your preference, but whatever, you needed a companion, not just like a girlfriend, like, hey, girl, can we just meet for like, blah? no, I need companionship properly, like, you know, and I need someone I can lean into on, on top of, like, you know, like, I need that. And this is, you've served your purpose, and now let's move on. Now what's next? And I used that to help me um, navigate a little bit because it was like, yeah, you, you, it's like being a, what do they call it? Those, those kids that like travel around, like third citizen or whatever. Third culture kids. 
third culture kids. It's kind of like being a third culture kid when you move here. Everyone is, you'll um, get close to somebody really quick because the commonality is, is that you, you both are immigrants in another country. And it's finally someone that you can have that moment. You know, that very, very black moment when you were with a girlfriend and the first word is girl. <laughs> <laughs> that girl is a whole entire language that outside of this, no one understands. And it puts you in the most comfortable home state you can. And you need that. And then uh, a month later, they leave. So people are being ripped away from you left and right. And then eventually in that you find your tribe who are like, who are like-minded people that say, I ain't going back either. So we going to do this together. And that's what I found. I found that that community in um, Barcelona. Um, there's a community here, but we're on different age <laughs> and like, mentalities like I, i'm just they're cool and 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 they are here if you need that absolutely but i've been here for so long i don't need that mm -hmm. when i was in barcelona i absolutely needed it that's what i got and i left barcelona frustrated with barcelona and now i miss barcelona because i didn't realize that community that i built a, a bunch of these friends that are like hardcore friends i don't have that here in madrid and i do miss that but I don't necessarily need it. I know it's there if I, I need it. Yeah. I know if I want to go back, I know it's there because we speak. I think don't get caught up all of, because even in, in your home country, wherever you're from, you are having bad days, really bad days. Does that say, you know what? Uh, don't move anywhere. Like you have to explore. You have to take a chance. Nothing moves unless you do. Once you move, opportunities come to you. When you're just staying stagnant, nothing comes to you and all you do is complain. I know as soon as I move and, and, and things just start dropping in my, in my lap immediately. Because immediately. the universe <laughs> tends to unfold as it should. And so when, when it's unfolding like it's supposed to, those things do just fall into place. Yeah, it does. It does. And you, you have to put in, you have to put in the work. You said it before you said, you know, despite all of that, you were living your life, you were doing what you wanted. And that part right there just speaks to me. You were, you were doing the things that you wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And so even with the difficulties you had, you still had the freedom to do that. And I think mm -hmm. ultimately, that's what moving abroad provides all of us. I have friends who live abroad in different countries all over the world. We probably have the same friends because this black community, although it's big, is very small and everyone knows everyone. <laughs> like, you know someone who knows someone who knows someone. I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, that's my friend, whatever. But that's my cousin. So I love that because <laughs> no matter even which country they're from and the diaspora, it's like, oh yeah. I love that we have that. That connection, there's like six degrees of separation kind of thing going on. Um, even with that, it's just like, you're okay. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. If you can get like, you know, find your foot in And, and it's great if you can have like um, a career, like all of these people that I know that have like proper careers before they moved abroad. Um, and that's great. I mean, they're living life. I mean, they're living on some next level. Like I'm looking like, you have a whole staff. <laughs> like, that is beautiful. 
I mean, if you can do that, that's great. And I, and I would say, uh, definitely try to do that. But if that is not your reality and you need to get the hell out, just get the hell out and figure it out. Figure it out. Because they, we have a whole community here around the world. And everyone will put you in contact with someone. So you're not alone. You're never going to be alone completely, fully. You're never going to be alone, especially if it's a Black woman. You're not going to be alone. And you need to take a leap of faith, jump into it, and go for it. And fully commit to it. Put like, Don't go half-assed. Just go into it. You need that for yourself. If nothing else, it will make you a better person. In, in some cases, it will break you down the way you need it to be broken down and build you back up even greater and make you a better person moving forward. I had absolutely no, no regard for responsibility, no regard for independence. I, I was always taken care of all of my life, always. I didn't know how to be responsible. If things didn't happen, I'd call my mom in a minute. I'm like, mom, I can't do this. Can you just... And I was always dependent on her. Even when I was independent, I still had her as a crutch. And, and I sat at home in my apartment in New York and thought, I don't even know how to survive if I didn't have these people. And I need to know how to survive. And I don't know how to survive. I have always had a crutch, always. And that scared me because I knew, God forbid, they're all here. But I knew if that was taken away from me, what the hell am I going to do? I don't know how to do that. I mean, that's the good thing and the bad thing about you know, the way I was raised, yeah, I was sheltered and protected and taken care of, but it didn't really give me the skills that I needed to like survive without that crutch. This gave me, and I knew that I need to lean into it. And that's why I just was like, you know, I got to go. So I don't know how to survive. And I just left. And I'm like, we're going we're gonna to do this and we're going to figure it out. And live in two different cities. Um, well, four different cities. Uh, well, three countries and different cities in those countries. In Spain, two different cities, um, and there's a whole bunch of differences between Catalonia and Madrid, but I was just like, oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. I just picked up and just like, okay, let's go to Italy, because I'm tired of this nonsense. Now we're in another country with another language, you know, <laughs> picked up and moved to Copenhagen. Oh, well, now we're in another country with another language. I don't know, it's really good, it's really good, and I encourage, I want back, black women just to win all the time my only focus is on them all the time that is my mission so i'm really glad you're doing this podcast well i think hearing your story is quite it's inspiring and i think it also will serve to I hope to alleviate some of the roadblocks that black women are putting in front of themselves and keeping them from being able to live life on their own terms. Uh, I am incredibly appreciative that you were willing to share your story. Do you have, like if people wanted to follow you or connect with you, do you have any public facing social media or not? So I have, you know, I have IG, I started a blog but I started the blog back in 2013. I just released my first, you can see the amateur writing on that. Um, <laughs> I released the first thing I wrote back in 2014, just recently. And I'm actually going to be writing, I'm working with a friend of mine, Kelly, um, to write my book. Um, so I'm on IG and that's she's dot abroad. 
And uh, yeah, that's it. I'm also writing a, um, I'm starting to write a pilot. I'm doing a screenplay. For that's awesome. Dating that's here. awesome. Dating here has been very, very interesting. And so. Well, okay. Really- so here's the thing. I, at some point, I'm probably going to do an episode about dating because that's another question that comes up a lot. So I, you may be hearing from me to be a guest <laughs> on that as well. Oh, that would be my pleasure because I have plenty of do's and don'ts and stories. It's insane here, but your stocks go up because you're king here. Okay. And so right. that's great. So there's like, don't worry about getting a date. That's not hard. Thank you for listening. Uh, be sure to check out the show notes for links to Carrie's blog and her IG account, along with information for um, some of those programs she mentioned about how to teach English uh, in Spain. I'd like to say thank you to all of you who have left reviews of the podcast. That is much appreciated. Um If you like the work that I'm doing here, please leave a review of the show. Um, That is an easy way to show your support and appreciation wherever you happen to be listening to the show because it's on, I know, at least eight different podcast platforms. I want to give an extra special shout out to those of you who signed up on Anchor to be a monthly patron of the show. Uh, I am extremely grateful for your support. It helps keep this all going. If you are interested in supporting the podcast with a small financial contribution, uh, and when I say small, it can be as little as $1 a month, you can do that by using the link in the description Um, It will take you to the podcast page on Anchor and you can sign up to support. Thanks again, everybody. Talk to you all next week.